Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 209 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we're back this week to go over what we saw in week eight and look ahead to week nine on the college football schedule. Some of what did happen in week eight, Alabama got a scare from Tennessee before pulling away late in the fourth quarter, Illinois and Penn State played a nine-overtime game, somehow only scored 38 points, and number seven Penn State lost to Illinois at home. And another top 10 upset, Iowa State beating Oklahoma State, which we will actually talk about later on tonight's show. Tony, how's it going? Okay, you forgot Oklahoma in a squeaker over Kansas. I mean, Oklahoma, I don't think I've ever seen an undefeated team be as berated and as criticized as Oklahoma is, but they can't seem to put away uh, opponents, but they continually win week in and week out. That's what it's all about. It is, but hey, you know, rightfully so to, to critique when you're, you know, in battles with Kansas and you're struggling to, I mean, every week, um, you know, I don't know what the spreads on these games have been, but they, they have not been beating opponents as, as they should be. So soon enough, that's the kind of thing that catches up to you. You would think so, but I mean, if, if they go undefeated and really – Iowa State seems to have a second life here after starting the season off uh, on a downer. Uh, if they beat Iowa State, they win the Big 12, they're going to go to the playoffs. We'll see what happens at that point in time. And we'll get to the rest of this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our friends at Bet Online. We're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season, along with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website, sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. October is a great month for sports. We have all four major sports in action, and the Heisman market looks very different than when the season started. Bryce Young of Alabama leads the way, followed by a player we will discuss later in the show, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, Matt Corral, and Kenny Pickett. Also in the hunt, all quarterbacks, as usual, Tony, your thoughts? My thought is Kenny Pickett should be more than in just the hunt, the way he's playing. I think he should be at the top of the list. Bryce Young, obviously, you know, give credit to Bill O'Brien. I know everyone loves to bash him, but he knows how to develop quarterbacks, as Bryce Young will tell you. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports or your favorite Heisman Trophy candidates. Bet online where the game starts. Now, our first review from week eight. Again, we'll just go over the games that we previewed last week. And this started with Wisconsin and Purdue. And this game, a 30 to 13 win for the Badgers. And really just the game dominated up front by the Wisconsin offensive line. 51 runs, eight passes all game. So we were interested to see what George Karlaftis was going to do against Tyler Beach and Logan Bruss. But the reality is, as a pass rusher, he only had eight opportunities to make plays. And frankly, he probably made a play on either two or three of those plays, depending what you consider. 
In the first drive of the game, he gets pressure, forces Graham Birch to step up in the pocket. Later in the game, he picks up a fumble and takes it to the house for, I think it was about a 60-yard touchdown. I mean, granted, you could say, oh, it's a fumble. He just was in the right place at the right time. But the reality is there was an unblocked blitzer on the backside that forced that fumble. And the reason there's an unblocked blitzer is because they had multiple players assigned to make sure Carl Laftis couldn't get after the quarterback. So even if he's not the one making that play and forcing that fumble, his presence alone is what's forcing that fumble. Uh, but, you know, reality here, Graham Birch threw eight passes in the game. The offensive line, including Beach and Brush, did dominate, especially in the run game. Carl Laftis, other than those two plays I mentioned, really quiet on the stat sheet, just had two tackles. Jake Ferguson was also pretty quiet, two catches for 23 yards. But again, on eight passes, that's a pretty good target share right there and kind of tells you, you know, what he is as far as the, the targets on this team. Um, but, you know, the other guy on the Purdue defense that did make a lot of plays was linebacker Jalen Alexander. I mean, he was making plays in the middle of the field, out to the flanks, behind the line of scrimmage. He was shedding blocks laterally, getting to ball carriers pretty much everywhere he wanted to. Didn't miss many tackles either. At 15 total, 11 solo, one for a loss. I mean, a really good game for Jalen Alexander and, and certainly not a game you would say was bad for a guy like Carl Laftis. Tony, what do you think of this matchup? Well, I mean, with Carl Laftis, you saw the athleticism. You saw it on that uh, fumble return for the touchdown. I believe that Carl Laftis is also, a, I don't know, he's a world-class water polo player, but he's a real good water polo player. And if you've ever seen water polo, you've worked out in the uh, pool at all, you know what, you know what that's like. I, I, I think my concern was with Carl Laftis, it's sort of, a similar thing to what I saw when he went up against Minnesota and went up against their big right tackle, uh, Daniel Falele. And that's, you know, he just gets oversized. He doesn't have great bulk. There's no great power. And I saw at times the two Wisconsin offensive tackles able to sort of outposition him from the action. So that's something to keep an eye on. But the thing about Carl Appis is he's good out of a three-point stance. He's real good standing over tackle. You know, he is your throwback, 3-4 type of outside linebacker who we highlighted over the summer, and we talked about him going as a being a first-round pick. And I think the question is it's not whether he's going to be a first-round pick, but how high in the first round he goes because he is going to enter the draft. As far as Jake Ferguson is concerned, yeah, you're right. I mean, Wisconsin's had no luck throwing the ball this year. They go to their bread and butter. They've always been a ground-and-pound type of team. I think Jake Ferguson, he seems to have lost some pop as far as a downfield pass catcher, but he really has improved his blocking. That was what I was impressed with, both on the line of scrimmage and out on the second level. Now that blocking is a priority for him because uh, Wisconsin's rushing the ball so much, 51 carries or 51 rushing attempts, I should say, in that game against Purdue. Jalen Alexander doesn't surprise me. I mean, the guy is a perfect linebacker. I think he's ridiculously underrated. I believe he was a week seven riser at my column at the Pro Football Network. He's a smaller running chase linebacker. He's also pretty good in coverage. He'll get get depth on the uh, on his pass drops. He can play off the line of scrimmage. He's good in pursuit. I think he's going to be a day three pick, but I think he's going to be great value in day three. Now moving on to the Big 12 here and that aforementioned game between Iowa State and Oklahoma State, 24-21 in favor of the Cyclones, knocking Oklahoma State from the ranks of the unbeaten and out of the top 10 in the polls. A bunch of guys we were looking at when – the Cyclones had the ball on offense. Tight end Charlie Collar was very involved early, finished with six catches for 69 yards. I mean, he lined up wide, he lined up in the slot, he lines up in line, he can block. 
as can his teammate Chase Allen, who, I mean, really just an awesome blocker. I mean, he plays his role extremely well on that offense. Let's and Kohler get the catches and the receptions because, you know, that's the skill set involved there. But, you know, credit to Chase Allen, too, as a guy who could go on the third day of the draft and, and make an impact as a depth type of tight end. Um, but, yeah, Kohler is a complete tight end, has enough athleticism to make plays, does block a little bit, too, sealed the edge on a big run for Brees Hall. I mean, Hall kind of struggled a bit, top run defense in the Big 12 for the Cowboys. Um, but especially early in the game, Hall really couldn't find any running room. 70 yards in the end on 21 carries, um, picked it up a little bit. In the second half, but the real story in this game, especially in the second half, was wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson. Um, I mean, he had 12 catches, 125 yards, two touchdowns, one multiple ways, one in multiple areas of the field. He separated, uh, you know, on that first touchdown cast, full extension at the goal line uh, to make a fourth down play. And one through contact on a second touchdown catch, uh, you know, had that big touchdown where he caught a slant pass and took it to the house, called back for a ridiculous taunting penalty, ends up finishing that drive with a touchdown anyway, which must have felt good. But you know, really just a massive, massive game for, for Xavier Hutchinson. And again, doing it in multiple ways, which is something you really always want to see from your draft prospects. Malcolm Rodriguez on the Oklahoma State side of things, you know, kind of like Jalen Alexander in the sense that he was just all over the field, different players in a lot of ways, but 13 tackles for Rodriguez, six solo. I mean, he was meeting Bryce Hall in the hole and, and Hall couldn't get anything going after contact. Uh, you know, Rodriguez plays with leverage. I know they talked about his wrestling background, uh, but you can tell he knows that he needs to get low. He's a smaller, shorter type of guy, but just always around the ball, a lot of fun to watch and, and really good recognizing plays and, and getting to the ball and run support. Um, you know, that was also an impressive part of this game to me, in addition to Hutchinson. Tony, what do you think of this one? I think the problem with Rodriguez is he's a safety-sized linebacker. I think he's, you know, right now he doesn't have an NFL position unless he's going to be a, a strong safety. The other guy we talked about was Colby Harvey Peel, who, again, you know, some scouts like him, and I think he's solid, but he's primarily a downhill uh, type of safety who's very good against the run, doesn't show great range. Hutchinson's a guy who I like. I mean, I think he's underrated. I have him graded as a seventh-round pick. Most scouts have him as a uh, – free agent type. Uh, he's a guy who I believe can be a fifth receiver at the next level and also do some double duty uh, returning punts. Kolar is what he is. Uh, there are some scouts who absolutely love him, think he's day two material. Uh, the thing is, is, you know, six catches, 69 yards, 11.5 yards per catch. Uh, but I mean, a couple of times on third down, he wasn't getting past the sticks. He's not going to be the safety in a foot race. He's not a dominant blocker. He does things well, but he just doesn't do things great. And a guy like that, you know, I don't know that I'm taking him in the third round of the draft, although I do have a third round uh, grade on him. Really want to see how he tests in the lead up to the draft. I mean, he's six, six and a half, 260 pounds. You would think he'd be a better blocker. He talked about Chase Allen. Chase Allen is a dominant blocker. And Chase Allen's about 10 pounds lighter uh, than Charlie Kolar. So, I thought, uh, you know, people, some people love Kolar. I think he's solid. I think, yeah, I think he's not great, but I do think uh, Xavier Hutchinson is a bit underrated. One Iowa State defender that's making his way up draft boards that we didn't talk about, Will McDonald, a guy who, sort of like Harlaftis, sort of a, a, a thin sort of defensive end who could potentially stand up over tackle at the next level. Five tackles, two sacks. Two tackles for loss, two quarterback hurries, as well as a pass defense. And he, he keeps getting better and better, Will McDonald. 
uh, if he enters the draft. I think after uh, the running back, Reese Hall, it could be Will McDonald that's the second Iowa State prospect off the board. I'll go back to the Big Ten quickly. Not a ton to talk about in this Ohio State-Indiana game, a 54-7 blowout victory for the Buckeyes. Uh, in the end, the Indiana secondary, despite having multiple players who are going to see opportunities in the NFL, just no match for this Ohio State passing offense. But neither Garrett Wilson nor Chris Olave really had big games. Wilson had five catches for 59 yards. Olave, two catches, 24 yards, and a touchdown. Um, you know, Olave's both of his catches, I believe, came on the same drive as well. Uh, they just kind of weren't needed. Um, you know, secondary you know, took them away. Blanket coverage made sure they weren't able to do too many things. Um, but Garrett Wilson did still run some really nice routes to get separation and get open. Um, you know, Olave was overthrown on a potential long touchdown. But kind of like Hutchinson we discussed earlier, finishes that drive with a touchdown anyway. Um, I did think Devin Matthews had a decent game for Indiana, did show some ball skills. I mean, the real stars in this one for Ohio State were C.J. Stroud. I know we talked about issues with ball placement with him last weekend. He had a couple errant throws in this one. But, I mean, overall, he's played a lot better the last few weeks than he did to start the year, 266 yards and four touchdowns. And then Trevion Henderson's not draft eligible, but three total touchdowns, 81 rushing yards. He only touched the ball, I think, 10 or 11 times. So, you know, that's just a ridiculous ratio of scores to touches. Um, yeah, just yeah, he'll, he's a guy we'll be talking about in a few years for sure. Tony, what'd you see here? Well, I think the real stars of the game were the Ohio State offensive line. I mean, they were oh, yeah. completely dominant. Uh, Nicholas Petit Freer, who I have as a second rounder, uh, was a riser at my column this week. Thayer Munford, who was the right tackle last year, who they moved to guard, is getting more acclimated to that position. DeWan Jones, the right uh, tackle. He's made himself into a prospect. He's a true junior. So those were the guys that basically just pushed uh, the Indiana defense, especially the Indiana front seven, all over the field. I mean, McFadden, those guys could not make plays. And if they were making plays, it was way off the line of scrimmage, especially Petit Freer, the athleticism. He's strong. He's got good footwork and pass coverage and pass protection. He gets out on the second level. Uh, Garrett Wilson did have an uncharacteristic drop. You mentioned C.J. Stroud, and I think one of the reasons why C.J. Stroud has shown such improvement is they're actually letting him play. And it's funny, I pointed this out to my wife Saturday night as we watched the game because my wife was with me when we were at the Oregon game. At the Oregon game, what would happen is C.J. Stroud would step to the line of scrimmage and he would look to the sideline for direction. And the direction wouldn't come in until there was four seconds left on the play clock. And then he'd have to get it off and he's looking at one receiver. And I said to my wife, I was like, look, you see, he comes to the line of scrimmage. You know, he's surveying the field. He's looking, figuring out what's going on. He's making his decisions. So I think Stroud's development is the fact that the Ohio State coaches are actually letting him play. I also think that the, the, the uh, Ohio State defensive line, and I want to talk about this aspect of it, the Ohio State defensive line is starting to play much better than they did earlier in the season. And, and Indiana, while they've got a lot of good players in the secondary, that secondary, they also got some good players up front. Uh, Caleb Jones, who's a senior, probably going to be undrafted, priority free agent. Matt Bedford, who I have graded as a third rounder. They've got some good blockers, but Ohio State defensive line got the best of them. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Stroud, too, has all day to throw because, like you mentioned, you know, this offensive line just he, – he was back there for eight seconds sometimes, just, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting for someone to get open. I mean, it's, it's easy to succeed there. I don't want to take – too much away from Stroud because he, you know, did have a good game, has been playing much better. But I mean, Tony, the real story, uh, you know, your wife going to get into get into some draft analysis now with you? 
Absolutely not. <laughs> when we were at the when we were at the Oregon Ohio State game, she you know she enjoyed the band coming out. She enjoyed the first quarter, and I was as I was sitting there predicting things that were going to happen or things that should happen. She was on her phone while I was on Facebook. So even though she denies it. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on to our last review from Week Eight. We'll go to the ACC for Louisville and Boston College. Twenty-eight fourteen win for Louisville here. The guys we wanted to watch. In this game, we're kind of ghosts in a lot of ways. Trey Barry didn't have his first catch until early in the fourth quarter. Uh, did make a nice little contested catch, broke a tackle, got some extra yardage. I mean, just on that play even, you can see the intrigue with him. He's a smooth mover, uses his frame to make plays, can bounce off defenders. But as we mentioned last week, ups and downs this year since Phil Jerkovich went down. Just two catches for 33 yards because really quarterback Dennis Crossell was, was pretty bad in this game. I mean, you know, we talk about... CJ Stroud missing some throws before this game. I mean, Grossell just, he missed so many throws. He had Zay Flowers open for, I think it would have been like a 90 yard touchdown pass and just overthrew him by about five yards uh, right at midfield. Uh, not really Barry's fault in this one that he was uninvolved, but Kendrick Duncan Jr. On the other hand, four tackles, two solo, didn't really make any impact plays. And that's kind of been the theme of his Louisville career since he transferred from Georgia Southern. The other transfer safety for the Cardinals though, Quinterio Cole played a solid game almost has been what we wanted Duncan to be in terms of a transfer coming in to a big conference and performing at a high level. Tony, what do you make of these players? Yeah, I call was terrific. And I said last week, you know, that's the guy to keep an eye on because scouts have not talked about him. I think they gave him a street free agent grade. He's been real good all uh, season, very explosive against the run, had two pass defenses uh, against Boston college has really stepped up his, you know, his play to a higher level of competition, and it's really answered the call. Now, I don't know because Louisville uh, defensive coaches are letting him do more, but he looks good week after week. You know, like you said, Trey Barry, literally no impact. In fact, you really saw him on the field uh, in the first half. I was surprised by the uh, Boston College offensive line. The way the Ohio State uh, offensive line dominated, I think the Boston College offensive line has underachieved at times this year. They're a talented group. They got three or four guys that will be NFL pros, will either be drafted or, or they'll be a priority free agents. They really haven't played up to it. I do like Malik Cunningham. I, I know he's not a great NFL prospect at the quarterback position, but he is an RPO type of uh, uh, signal caller. Very good running the ball, had 133 yards rushing, can also throw the ball. He lost some of his top receivers, which I think is, is really hurting him in the passing game this year. I don't think Cunningham's going to get drafted. I absolutely think he should be signed after the draft, and I absolutely think he should be given a chance to play quarterback at the next level. Yeah, Cunningham's kind of like a guy, I mean, we've talked about uh, Tyler Huntley from Utah uh, over the past couple of years on this show, now backing up Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. I mean, you just find the right quarterback in the right system for a guy like Cunningham to come in, and, and he can be a backup NFL quarterback, because if that starter goes down, you don't have to change your scheme. You don't have to change your system. You just can put in a guy like Cunningham. And yes, he obviously can run the football, but he can throw it too. You know, he has his consistency issues, certainly, but, um, you know, you get him into an NFL program and, you know, you try to help him out. And if he can develop into a backup, he can turn into a very valuable player for, you know, a team like Baltimore who has a Lamar Jackson, you know, a team like Arizona who has a Kyler Murray, a guy that you don't want to have to go to a pure pocket passer, um, you know, if those starters get injured. Yeah, and, and I think comparing him to Huntley, I think Malik, uh, Malik Cunningham is a much more explosive 
much more game-breaking ball carrier uh, with as good passing skills. Absolutely. So we're going to move on now to the week nine slate here for college football. We've got three games involving key NFL draft matchups. We'll start with Wyoming and San Jose State. And you may say, Wyoming, San Jose State, key draft matchup. But Spartans tight end Derek Deese Jr. showed some flashes last season. He was really working behind Bailey Gaither and Trey Walker in terms of being primary targets. But now those two are gone. Deese is the lead dog in this passing game. And as a result, he's enjoying a breakout season. 31 catches, 553 yards, and three touchdowns in eight games. That's a huge yards per catch jump from last season, which really isn't surprising considering his plus athletic ability. Could see a good amount of Wyoming linebacker Chad Muma in this game. They have similar size, but Muma definitely not the same caliber of athlete. Probably a guy who runs more in the four eights uh, than Derek Deese, but he is a really instinctive run defender. Averages about 10 tackles per game, one for loss over the past two seasons. A couple interceptions too, so certainly not devoid of ball skills, but probably not going to be able to stay with Deese up the seam without some safety help over the top if they end up matched up in coverage. Tony, what are you watching for between these two? Yeah, this should be a good game because because it's a game that both teams really need to stay in the postseason uh, bowl hunt. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that about Muma, and I agree with you. He's a guy who makes plays with his head and with his football intellect as well as his uh, tenacity more so than he does with his athleticism. But I've been told he's going to test off the charts. I'm told he's going to run in the four sixes. He's going to have a vertical jump in the mid-30s. I'm told his testing numbers are going to be outstanding. He doesn't play to it. I mean, when you watch him play, he plays to one speed and he really doesn't show a burst. I think it's a similar situation with Derek Deason. You know, while Muma is graded as a day three pick by scouts, Deese is graded as a priority free agent. I completely disagree. I have Derek Deese. I've had him as a late round pick since last year. Last year, he didn't have great numbers, but he came up big in the, in the important spots uh, for San Jose State, who had a tremendous campaign and played all their home games on the road because of uh, COVID restrictions uh, at San Jose State. You got to remember the thing about Derek Deese this year. You know, they had uh, Nick Starkle, who was a real good quarterback at San Jose State last year, got injured in the early part of the campaign. So Derek Deese is having his breakout campaign with the uh, backup quarterback, Nick Nash. Uh, so the Muma Deese uh, matchup is an interesting one because we'll see if, like you said, can Muma stay with Deese downfield? I mean, if he can, then the, what I'm hearing about his testing numbers uh, can be true as opposed to what scouts feel he's a, he's a 4 eight guy. If you can't stay downfield with the Derek Deese, yeah, I think that's uh, that's a red flag. Yeah, and I mean, Muma did run a 4.7 coming out of high school. Granted, he was like 195 pounds coming out of high school. Um, doesn't mean that obviously he can't be getting stronger um, and improve that 40 time. But I think that's a big reason why people look at him and they say, you know, this is a 4.8 kind of guy. But, you know, again, hey, if you are going to be able to gain 30, 40 pounds, um, play linebacker in college, and then you're going to be able to, you know, improve your 40 time, even at all against the four sixes. No, that's, that's certainly impressive, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Some guys, obviously, you know, you know, some guys test and you're just shocked. You just don't, don't see it on the field and it just doesn't seem real, but you know, some guys are just, you know, really going to test out well. And sometimes it does translate to the next level. Other times it doesn't, but with a guy like Muma, his instincts, if he does have that kind of speed, that's going to be a huge boon to what his draft stock will be. See, the thing is, is if he runs and he tests in the four eights, he's going to be pigeonholed as a two-down run defender that's going to be taken off the field on third and five passing situations. 
But if he runs much faster than people expect and he happens to get into the high four sixes, low four sevens, that's going to help his draft stock because all of a sudden he goes from a two-down run defender to a three-down linebacker. I guess we can call this episode the bloodline episode because in addition to Deese, who had a dad who played in the NFL, we're going to take a look at Michigan edge rusher Aiden Hutchinson, son of former NFL offensive lineman Steve Hutchinson, and really a guy similar to George Karlaftis in both style as a guy who's athletic, but maybe a little bit on the small side. And also in terms of the potential to be a top 10 pick in April. I mean, these guys might be battling on lots of teams draft boards in terms of where they're going to go and who's going to be, you know, the second or third ranked defensive uh, lineman edge rusher type behind Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, but really Hutchinson has been even more productive than Karlaftis this year, 27 tackles, seven of them for loss, six sacks in seven games does get a challenge this week against Michigan state an offensive line with several fruit pros on it. Left tackle Jared Horst being one of them, Arkansas state transfer, good height and length, decent athlete on paper. This is a good matchup for Hutchinson's skill set. but Hutchinson is a guy obviously significantly higher rated for the next level than Jared Horst. right tackle AJR Curry also has a pro future, at the very least as a camp invite. So whichever side Hutchinson is going to line up on, He's going to face a challenge with a guy who is going to end up in the NFL or at least in camp at some point. Tony, do you think either Horst or Curry is going to be able to slow down Hutchinson? I mean, it's going to be tough because Hutchinson is having the year that you want to have uh, as a senior, as you're moving towards the draft. I mean, he's been unstoppable at times this year. He's long, he's athletic. He shows he flashes some power uh, in his game. He plays with a nasty attitude like his dad used to. One of my favorite stories from the senior ball was literally the second year I was there. His father took a linebacker from uh, USC by the name of Zeke Moreno and just buried him. I mean, it was one of those scenes from Rudy, if you remember, when the offensive line pulls across the, the field and just buries Rudy. And Zeke Moreno was really never the same after, after his dad, Steve Hutchinson, buried him ground. It's just a funny, funny story. But like his dad, I mean, he's athletic. He gets the most from his ability, and he's got a high upside Horst has been pretty good this year. I mean, a guy who played at Arkansas State last year decided to transfer to uh, Michigan State. They've been rotating their tackles. Horst is fundamentally very sound. Not the greatest athlete in the world. A guy who I think a lot of people project to guard at the next level. He's listed as a redshirt junior, but he he actually is a a redshirt senior. He can take advantage of that extra year of eligibility the NC2A has given everybody. Uh, Fundamentally sound. Does a good job with uh, his angles and body positioning, but it's going to be a different beast this week for him when he goes up against Hutchinson because Hutchinson's got it all. He's got power, he's got explosion, he's got speed off the edge, he's got a variety of moves. AJ Curry, I think, is more of a small area guard, a small area tackle, I should say. I think he will have a dip, more difficult time against Hutchinson than Horst. But still, if Horst can hold his own and, and slow down or or prevent Hutchinson from getting to the uh, quarterback, it's going to really help his draft stock. Now for the final preview on today's show, we're going to head to South Bend where quarterback Sam Howell and North Carolina visit the Golden Domers. Now the Notre Dame defense allows fewer than 6.7 yards per pass attempt. Howell averages 8.8, which is actually down from 10.3 last year. Completion percentage also down from 68 to 61. I mean, no doubt that Sam Howell has missed the guys he lost to the NFL, Diami Brown and Daz Newsom as receivers and Javante Williams and Michael Carter as running backs. You know, a lot of his offensive line came back, but they've been up and down a little bit. They've had some issues protecting him. He's been running more as a result. Does catch a break in this matchup, though. 
star Irish safety Kyle Hamilton is injured, won't play, but he still has to contend with an excellent defensive line for the Irish. Guys like Myron Tagovailoa, Amosa, Kurt Hinnish, Jason Adam Lola, and then you add Isaiah Foskey in, who has eight sacks this year. And again, that offensive line that had some praise on it entering the season, but just really hasn't performed up to expectations, kind of like we were talking about with the Boston College offensive line. Uh, I mean, it's is it the offensive line issues? Is it fewer weapons in terms of Sam Howell? Or, I mean, it's probably some of column A and some of column B. I mean, really the only reliable target he's had so far this season is wide receiver Josh Downs. Nobody else on the roster has more than 16 catches or 253 yards. Downs has 60 catches for 837 yards and eight touchdowns. So really, if Notre Dame can keep Downs in check and get after Howell, could be a long day for a guy who, I mean, at one point, Sam Howell was considered a potential number one overall pick. When we did our mock draft in the offseason, we both had him going number one to the Houston Texans. Certainly this year, his stock has dropped so far. Tony, do you still believe in Howell, and how do you think he plays in this matchup? Well, you know, you talked about column A and column B. Is it the receivers at North Carolina? Is it the offensive line at North Carolina? You forgot column C. Is it Sam Howell at North Carolina? And the fact is this is, despite the fact that his offensive line has not met expectations and he lost a lot of offensive skill firepower, Sam Howell has not played well this year. And he's cost the team. I mean, three interceptions uh, the first week uh, against uh, Virginia Tech. His, his interception uh, against Florida State uh, when uh, North Carolina was driving towards the end zone and Florida State had finally taken the lead 14 to 10, basically sealed the game because uh, North Carolina was not able to climb back in the game against a Florida State team that, for the most part, you know, was down and out for the season. So I think Sam Howell's play has not only really hurt the North Carolina Tar Heels this year, it's destroyed his draft stock. And unless he turns it around real soon and does so with some gusto, I mean, he's, he can't enter the draft because if he enters the draft, he's not going in the first round. Uh, you know, he's a smaller guy, shorter guy. Uh, he's got a decent arm. He doesn't have a great arm. And, and, you know, it's very tough to draft a quarterback off a poor year. Very rarely do they get it back together. You think of the Matt Barkley's and, and we can go on and on about quarterbacks who entered the draft or whether they were underclassmen or seniors in a poor year and just never lived up to expectations. That's what Sam Howell is facing now. What better team to do it against, you know, than Notre Dame in the Fighting Irish uh, Stadium on Saturday night? So, I mean, the whole thing, the whole idea of my idea, anyway, preview in this game is Sam Howell's on the downslide. Right? His play has hurt North Carolina. His draft stock is tanking. He's got to get it uh, squared away and he's got to get it righted real quick, or he has to return to North Carolina for the 2022 season. Or if he enters the draft, he's got to expect, you know, he's a day two pick at best. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned he's a bit smaller. His arm's only decent. I mean, he's his rushing numbers this year look great, but he's not that great of an athlete. He's not a guy that, you know, you look at in the NFL who's going to run all over the place. I mean, you know, we talked about Zach Wilson had very good rushing numbers at BYU. He can run a little, but I mean, you watch what he's done so far this year. He's not, he's still looking to pass first, which is not a bad trait, but the reality is he's not, that great of an athlete where he's going to beat NFL defenders in the open field and neither is Sam Howell. So, I mean, if he's not playing well and he doesn't have any true standout traits, it's just, as you said, it's very difficult to get behind him. 
And yeah, if he, if he comes out, I don't know what to really expect. I mean, this whole quarterback class, I mean, obviously, you know, you have Spencer Rattler too, who at this point just needs to transfer. Um, if he has any hope of resuscitating, you know, what was a high draft stock at one point, and it's just really interesting what's happened with the QBs this year. But yeah, I mean, Sam Howell, this could be a big game for him. As you said, if he comes out and he plays well, you know, there will be some people that make excuses and say, Oh, well, Kyle Hamilton was out. Um, you know, that's why he had a big game, but this is still a really good defense, even without, you know, a guy who's probably going to be a top 10 pick at the safety position. So it, it would really help Sam Howell if he could come out and play well here. If he can't, I mean, it's, it, it might be curtains for him at, as far as the 2022 draft is concerned. Sam Howell is not an RPO quarterback. I mean, he's not an immobile quarterback, but you're not drafting Sam Howell, you know, for designed quarterback runs as you would with other, say, shorter quarterbacks. Now, you know, the last time we saw a quarterback have a really bad or not, I don't even want to say really bad. Didn't live up to expectations as a uh, during the junior year. I, I can think of two, both in the Mountain West: uh, Jordan Love and Josh Allen. Both went in the first round, but those guys were bigger quarterbacks, very athletic quarterbacks with huge guns of an arm, and guys who you know Jordan Love as a sophomore at Utah State and Josh Allen as a sophomore at uh, Wyoming basically carried the offense. Uh, on their shoulders, didn't have the NFL type of receivers or running backs at their disposal that Sam Howell had last year. So I I think it's a totally different beast with Sam Howell. If he has any intentions of uh, entering the 2022 draft and he wants to be a relatively high pick, he's got to turn it around real quick. And that's it for the 209th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week with more on the 2021 college football season. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.